So when you look at this picture, where is God? We've been talking about the Holy Spirit, and you know your, your answer right away is probably everywhere, but we've been talking about the members of the Trinity and who the Holy Spirit is in that mystery. And a lot of times when we think of the Father, we think of the guy who's far removed from the scene. So in this picture, when you say, where is God, where is the Father, a lot of times you'll think he's celestial. He's way out there above the clouds. And, and, and typical Christian theology would be, where is Jesus? Jesus would be a man if he were in the picture. Jesus would be there with these people standing next to them. But when you ask the question, where is the Holy Spirit in a picture like this, the Holy Spirit, to me, is just coming out of the cracks of the pavement and, and whispering in the ears of the people. And, and, and even in, in some wild sense, in the smoke coming from the man's cigarette, he is, he's permeating everything and in all and through all and, and, and trying to effectively reveal the Father and the Son in every single situation. And so we've been talking about the Holy Spirit being God at ground level. And I want to I shrink that down just a little bit. And, and you guys will get used to me doing this, but I, I want to teach you two brand new big words in the process. And, and the words are charismata and pneumatica, or pneumatica, depending on, on who you listen to. Uh, we'll get into what those, those mean, but I want to talk about God at street level right now. You know, we've, we've, we've talked about the Holy Spirit quite a bit recently and God being way out there and the Holy Spirit being kind of right here and right close. And I think these words, as we, as we elaborate on those words, are going to start to illustrate who, who He is. Last week, we talked about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, meaning uh, if you plant a seed, you get a harvest. So if I plant apple seeds, I get apple trees, and off the apple trees, I get apples. So the fruit of the apple seed is apples. And, and Scripture teaches that the fruit of the Holy Spirit are characteristics that Christians ought to carry with them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So Scripture seems to indicate that when the seed of the Holy Spirit is planted in your life, that it affects your character. It affects, it affects the way you are, not, not completely just the way you act. And there's a difference between the way you act and the way that you are. And Scripture indicates that the fruit of the Holy Spirit changes who you are. But we're going to go a little bit further about, about the Holy Spirit today and talk about what they call the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit, charismata, the, the word that we had on the screen a little bit, sort of, is used often in Scripture. It's the Greek word that, that oftentimes in English is translated as gifts. And 1 Corinthians 12 in Scripture is where you hear mostly about what Charismatics and Pentecostals call the gifts of the Spirit. I know those words Charismatic and Pentecostal freak some people out, and in some cases, rightly so. There's been all kinds of stuff that's gone on in the name of the Holy Spirit that, in my opinion, is just wackiness. But we also want, I, I want to be a church that also believes that the Holy Spirit is at ground level, coming out of the cracks of the pavement, is in our voices, is in our minds, in our hearts. And, and when that happens, that, that something is bound to happen. So, words are bound to be spoken. Lives are bound to be changed when God is at street level. So I wanted to share some of what 1 Corinthians 12 with you, says with you. He says, now about the gifts. Now, if you go back to the Greek, that first word that, he find, that you find in 1 Corinthians 12, gifts, is pneumatika the first word that we talked about. And pneumatica comes from the, 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 the root word pneuma, which is breath. And so pneumatica is, in a sense, the breath of God. So, so when he says, I want to tell you about the, the gifts, he, he, Paul is basically saying, I want you to understand that when God breathes, this is what it looks like. And then he says, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. There are different kinds 
of gifts. Now, this word gifts, which is translated in English, is a different word in the Greek, and it's that charismata that we talked about, which comes from charis, which means grace, which is the same word that we get charisma from. And we'll talk about what those words mean as we go on. But he's saying when God breathes, grace occurs in the life of people, and it has an impact. Things happen. Stuff comes out when God breathes into a believer's life. And he says, it's the same spirit. That, uh, there's different kinds of charisma, different kinds of gifts, but the same uh, spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. To each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. So he's talking about when God comes up out of the street, the cracks in the street, and when God invades, he does different stuff in different folks. He does different stuff in people's life. He'll do something different in Chris's life than he will in Eleanor's life. And he'll do something different in Eleanor's life than he will in Bill's life. And it, it, he, he, he says God will give gifts to people. And then he elaborates on what those look like. And this is where Pentecostal and charismatic churches, as a good charismatic or Pentecostal pastor, my, my job is to point out what these things are and then say, how can we make these happen in our life? I'm not going to approach it like that at all today. But I do want to explain what these charismas are that he, he, he says will happen in the life of believers. He says, to one there is given through the Spirit. Notice that that's repeated over and over, through the Spirit. One is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. Again, by the Spirit, by the Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another, the interpretation of tongues. Now this word gifts, and, and what happens in, in most what they'd call charismatic churches. So a charismatic church is a church that believes the, these, these charismas can still happen. And, and I, found, I found this passage today explaining kind of the difference between what, what they call... Um, um, well, let, let, let me read it to you. The interpretations and emphasis of the charismata, the charismata, have varied from the extremes of denying their existence subsequent to the first century presence of the apostolic personages or the later canonization of the New Testament. Okay, lots of big words here. This is what they call cessationalism or cessationists. Cessationists, it comes from the root of ceased, cessation, it ceased. They say that when the disciples died or when the New Testament was canonized, when it was brought together and everybody said, okay, this is the Bible, that these charismas, these, these charismatas, they stopped. Okay, so, so a cessationist believes that 2,000 years ago, all these miracles did happen. People did speak in tongues. People did, were raised from the dead. People did, uh, that were blind were healed. But all that stopped. And it, so, so that's one view of the gifts that we're talking about. The second, he says, it, it, they take it to such an extreme of glorifying it that it becomes the ultimate criteria of Christian certainty and spirituality and employing such as independently possessed power manifestations. And this is, this is a really terrible clip art graphic I found. I don't know why ministries use terrible clip art, but they do. There are churches out there that will, as you become a member, they'll say, they'll say as you become a member of the church or as you get involved in the church, that you should take what they call a, quote, spiritual inventory test. And they'll give you a test and they'll ask you all these questions about your spiritual life and they'll ask you all kinds of things about what you believe and what you have faith for. And then by that, they will determine which of these charismas, which of these spiritual gifts that you operate in, and then they will release you to operate in those gifts. 
And I feel like that's just a real, it's a slaughtering of Scripture. It's kind of a slaughtering of what charismata is. I, I feel like it, it puts God in a box and it puts people in a box. And I think if you read the passage carefully, what Paul is saying is that just love the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit seep through the cracks of your life and influence your mind and influence your heart and influence your thoughts. And when that happens, he has this way of doing stuff. And it's going to be different. It's going to be different for Sarah Parker. What, what the Holy Spirit does in her life is going to be different than Sydney's life. It's going to, it, 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 but he wants to permeate you. And when he permeates you, sometimes he shows up in this wild stuff. And so what happens in a lot of charismatic or Pentecostal churches is they start seeking the gifts and, and kind of idolizing them and saying, I want to be, I want to have these gifts. And I've even, when I was in college, I, I've even sat around with friends talking about what are my gifts. And we'd go through this list. And everybody would always end up at discerning of spirits because discerning of spirits, spirits requires no external showing. It's real easy to say, yeah, well, my gift is discerning of spirits. Like I can figure stuff out real good. You know, I can, I can tell when something's not quite right. That's my spiritual gift. Because that doesn't require laying hands on anybody and being, anybody being healed. There's no speaking in tongues. There's no miraculous faith involved. So everybody kind of uses that as their default fallback, right? And, but I, I also want to make it very clear, because what happens in, in a lot of churches that are charismatic in nature is they view these as the gifts of the Spirit and that this is how you know if the Spirit is in you. And it creates this separation between those who do and those who don't. And that's a big mistake as well. And I'll point out that if you read other parts of Scripture, if you go to Romans chapter 12 or 1 Peter 4, it also uses the, word, the Greek word charismata. It uses the exact same word translated gifts, but in those passages it describes things like serving, showing mercy, teaching, encouraging. And so the Holy Spirit, a lot of times we'll make the Holy Spirit out to be something the Holy Spirit isn't. The Holy Spirit just wants to get in there and shape everything. He wants to get in and shape the way you think and shape the way you talk and fill you full of faith to believe for wild and crazy stuff. There's a, there's a passage in Scripture in the book of Acts where this guy Philip, is, uh, he's out and about. And it says very simply, it says, The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. This is a real simple. This isn't go to that chariot and lay your hands on the person and they will be healed. It, the Holy Spirit just comes through the cracks of Philip's life and says, I want you to go stand over there. And when he does... He overhears the guy in the chariot, and the guy in the chariot is reading this scroll from the book of Isaiah. And it happens to be a scroll that's talking about the coming Messiah who was revealed as Jesus. And so Philip's, his ears perk up. He's like, oh, man, what's this guy listening? What's he reading? And, and he says to the guy, he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian guy says, no, well, no. How, how can I possibly understand this if somebody doesn't explain it to me? And Philip climbs up in the chariot with him. He's like, man, i got to tell you all about this. And he tells him about Jesus, and the Ethiopian gets baptized right there, and just some really amazing ministry happens. But it happened through this very simple prompting of the Holy Spirit seeping through the cracks of, of Philip's life, saying, go stand there. And if nothing else today, I hope you'll leave here with this, that idea that the Holy Spirit would like you to go stand there, or he would like you to open your mouth and say something to someone. And that if you're in touch with God, if you're letting him into your life, pervading your, pervading your life, sometimes he's going to say, why don't you do this little simple thing? Why don't you say this, this thing to this person? Or, or if, if you want to look at Romans 12, why don't you be encouraging? 
I want you to go encourage somebody, or I want you to show mercy to someone. Or he very well might say, I want you to speak up to, to your friends and tell them something I'm going to do. It may be real precise, real specific, miraculous stuff. But we need to be people that can hear God when he says, go stand there. So here's my plan for the next 15 minutes. I'm going to tell you stories of times that I feel like the Holy Spirit seeped in through the cracks of my life when he came up at street level and was just there and did stuff. And I don't want to go through the gifts of the Spirit and say, okay, this is what a word of wisdom is. This is what a word of knowledge is. This is what miraculous healing is. Instead, I want to paint a broad stroke picture that when you're in touch with God, neat stuff happens. I want to make it a lot, a, a, a lot more general and vague than that. I was at a Goodwill and I think it was in Nashville. We used to make Goodwill runs to Nashville all the time because I lived in a city with no thrift stores and I was a college student on a college student's budget. So we would drive to Nashville to buy clothes. As you can still tell, I buy my clothes at a thrift store. So we're at Goodwill and I'm shopping and, and uh, there's this guy and he's with two girls and the two girls are hanging all over him. They're like, you know, holding, holding his arms and flirting with him and, and, and he, he's wearing a, a, like a, a long black coat and and for some reason, they were shopping and having a good time. He, I was just drawn to him. I just, for some reason, he, he captured my attention. And I felt like God kind of whispered to me, go talk to him and go tell him something. And as always happens with me, I'm like, that's, that's probably not God. I'm, I'm just going to embarrass myself. No, just no. You wouldn't believe how many times I've told God no. And... So I, I shop and I buy my stuff and I get out and, and, and the whole time I'm just, ah, oh, it's just drawing me and I just, I feel like I ought to talk to him and I'm just scared and feel stupid and, and feel like what I have to say is kind of vague and dumb anyway. And, and so I kind of dismiss it and I get out and I get in my car and <laughs> this kind of thing happens with me all the time. And I, I say, okay, God, I'm going to drive away, but if he comes out the door right when I drive past it, I'll stop. And sure enough, as soon as I'm driving past the door, the door opens, and I keep driving. <laughs> and I, I keep driving, and I thought, oh! And so I finally hit the brakes and turn around and drive back to the Goodwill parking lot, and I pull up to the guy, and I roll down my window. I said, hey, how you doing? And of course, he looked at me like, fine, weirdo. And I, I, said, Can I, I said, I want to tell you something crazy. I said, I'm a Christian, and I said, I pray, and, and, and I think that sometimes God tells me stuff about people, and I could be wrong, and, uh, but, but I feel like he told me something about you, and he, he's, you know, okay. And I said, well, I, I feel like God, and, and it sounds so generic, it still sounds stupid. I said, I, said I, I feel like God showed me that you are a person of real influence, that for whatever reason, uh, people are drawn to you, and they want to be like you. And, and I can't, you know, I don't know what that means, but I, I said, I just feel like that's a gift from God, and God would have you use it for something good. And, and, and I just wanted to share that with you. And he goes, you're the third person that's told me that. And you could just see he was just like, oh, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I knew the whole time I was God, you know. And I... I and I don't, know, you know, I don't know what the end result was in his life, but it, to me, it was one of those moments where God was kind of talking to me and moving and shaking and, and wanted to say something to somebody. And you see, it, it wasn't fire from heaven. It wasn't anything major and spectacular. A lot of times we think for something to be God that it has to be explosive. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be explosive at all. This is the, the church that I grew up in. 
And actually, when I, that I went to college, you can see it's the Dome Church. It looks like a spaceship. And back then, it was First Assembly of God, Murray, Kentucky. And it was way Pentecostal. I mean, and, and you know, shouting, preaching, and all kinds of stuff. And, and we were having what they call an altar call one, one time after a service. And an altar call, for those of you that are unfamiliar, basically means everybody swarm the front and let's pray for everybody. And so that's what, that's what was going on one Sunday night service. And all of a sudden, the service stops. And the preacher, Jerry Henley, he looks at me. He says, HL. And I'm like, oh, no, don't stop, stop. Don't do whatever you're about to do. And he says, God told me you're supposed to preach here next Sunday night. And so I peed my pants just a little bit. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like 19 years old, maybe, maybe 20 years old. And uh, he said, in two weeks, in two weeks, you're supposed to preach right here. Now, was that a, a directive of God talking to him, or was it God just kind of moving? And I, I can't explain all that stuff, but what I do know is I was tortured, tortured for two weeks. I was so terrified, absolutely, completely terrified of public speaking, but I spent so much time preparing, and I delivered like a 50-minute sermon that was just awful. It was just a terrible, like I listened to it years later, and I just cringed. It was so bad, and I felt so sorry for the people that had to listen listen to me. But I walked away from that sermon thinking, I got this. I can, I can do this stuff. And here I am, you know, 20 years later, or however many years later. And it was just this moment where God was moving and shaking. And it, it launched me into something that, was, that turned out to be pretty important for my life. Nothing spectacular, nothing major, but God maybe probably was showing up. I, I was traveling after that and speaking at churches, and I was, I was traveling with a friend who was doing a speaking engagement, and at that speaking engagement, I met this guy, um, young kid, he was probably in his you know, early 20s, and we hit it off and had a, had a good long conversation. I was, I was just sitting while my friend was preparing for his speaking engagement, and uh, the interesting thing is, a couple weeks later, I was at a conference, and at that conference, this same guy that I had met at the church prior walks in, and he's walking in with his arm in a sling like you see in the picture. And I said, oh, man, how's it going? And I gave him a hug and tried not to hurt him. And, 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 and you know, we started to catch up, having not seen each other for a couple weeks. I said, what happened? And he said, oh, man, I was in a, a football accident, and I landed wrong on my shoulder, and it all came out and tore the tendons. And, 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 and so, you know, I'm going to have to be in this sling for about six weeks, and then they're going to have to do some testing and see if I need surgery. And, and you could just tell it was a pretty miserable situation for the guy. It was his right hand. He was right-handed. And so I ended up sitting behind him, one, one chair behind him at the conference. And so he's taking notes with his left hand, and I'm feeling sorry for him. And, and at some point in the music during the conference, the music got real quiet, and the guy who was supposed to preach got up. And, and, and this is the kind of stuff you see in movies or that you, you hear about and you think, these people are crazy. So you can dismiss me as crazy if you want. But the speaker gets up and he walks over to our bay. So there were like four bays in the church. So this might be one bay. And he walks up in front of the bay and he says, I feel like someone in this bay needs to be physically healed right now. And when I, no joke, I'm sitting in one chair. This guy is sitting in a chair, one seat in front of me. I watched him with my own eye. I could reach out and touch him when it happened. I watched him jump up and go, Whoa! 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 And he was instantly, totally, miraculously healed, close enough for me to touch. Now, psychosomatic, I guess, maybe, but I think that's a stretch. I think something pretty crazy and pretty wild happened. And it was, the, it was a preacher having the guts just to get up in front of people and say, I feel like God wants to. Now, pretty big deal. 
But what if God had been speaking to him and saying, why don't you go say this? And he said, oh, no, 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 no. See, I'm just a believer that sometimes it takes risk. Sometimes it takes risk to do what God wants you to do. I haven't seen miraculous healing in my own life. I have maybe three or six decent stories of pretty neat stuff that I've seen. I can think of one time that I just knew that I knew that somebody was going to be healed from God. And I don't walk in that kind of stuff all the time. But I, my mom had a disease called Meniere's disease, which is an inner ear disorder that messes with your vertigo. It's absolutely brutal. And so she would have these what they call Meniere's attacks or vertigo attacks where her whole world would start spinning. And it would happen maybe three or four times a month. And it would be like, for her, she would describe it as if you were riding a tilt-a-whirl for about a day. And her, her just spin and spin and spin. And she'd throw up and throw up and throw up and cry and moan and just wish she could die. And it's one of the most awful things you'll ever have to do is watch your mother go through that. And, and she went through it for years to the, to the point where she was afraid to drive. Her job was majorly affected because she missed so many days. It was just, it was a really, really terrible disease. And I was at college, and so I was about an hour away one day, and I, I called and said, and she didn't answer, so I called her work and said, how's mom doing? And they said, well, she went home with an attack. And an attack always looked like this. She'd have the attack, she'd go home, she'd spin, she'd throw up a lot, and then she would take drugs to knock her completely unconscious for a day. That's, that's what Meniere's attacks looked like for my mom. And for some reason, that time, that one time, something rose up in me. I said, no! I, said, I, I thought, this is not God. And I, I became really mad at the disease and at the devil and at whatever it was. You know, I don't know who causes or what causes or why, but I just know I was ticked off that my mom was dealing with this. And I knew that if I drove to Paducah from an hour away, I knew if I drove there and I prayed for her, I knew something was going to happen. I don't know how I knew, but I knew that I knew that if I would go, something would happen. And so I drove to Paducah. I drove, this was our house growing up, a little double-wide trailer there near Reedland, Kentucky. And uh, so she's in the front right living, or bedroom. And, and we used to have a little trailer that sat here that we rented out, and a guy named Bill Burnett lived there. So I, and Bill was a, a believer that was just crazy. Yeah, you start laughing, you hear Bill. Bill's nutty. And, and nutty in a good way. And so I go to Bill. I knock on the I said, Bill, Mom's really sick. I'm going to pray. Something's going to happen. He's all right, I'm in. You know, he's like, yeah. <laughs> That's just how Bill was. And so... We, we, we go over to the house, and we go in, and Mom's laying there moaning with her full puke bucket, with her head laying on it. And I started praying, and I prayed like I very rarely prayed in my whole life. I just said, this has got to go in the name of Jesus. And we started praying in tongues. I know we've kind of freaked people out with that stuff. I talked about it the last couple weeks, if you want to read the, or watch the sermons online. But we started praying in tongues and started praying and just commanding this sickness to leave in Jesus' name. And somehow, someway, at that moment, I just believed and I didn't conjure that up. I don't know where it came from or why I don't always feel that way, but that day I did. And the short of it is, an hour later, my mom was back at work. One hour later, she was back at work. And that doesn't happen with these attacks. It was, it's the kind of stuff that she was debilitated completely for a day, and then it usually took two or three days to recover. And over the, ne the course of the next months and years, these, these attacks just diminished and diminished and vanished. And she got to the point where she had no issues with it at all within probably a year and a half of that moment. And so I, now, how much of that is remission? How much of it is psychosomatic? I don't know. I can't figure all that stuff out. But here's what I know is that sometimes when the Holy Spirit seeps up through the cracks and sometimes when you're filled saying this could happen, stuff really does happen. If you'll just say yes to it and, and let it happen. I had my mentor in college... 
came to us one day. We were raising money for a mission trip. He said, guys, and, and he was very, very careful about this phrase. I, I, only one time in my life did I ever hear Mark Randall say, God told me something. Only once, and I knew him for 20 years. Only once, and it was this occasion. He came to us as a missions team. He said, guys, God told me last night that we're going to get a free car. God told me we're going to win a car. There's this car dealership down the road, and they're giving away a free car, and God told me we're going to win that car, and we're going to sell that car, and we're going to use it for our missions trip. And so he encouraged all of us. There were about 14 of us going on the trip, I think. I don't remember the numbers exactly. But there were about 14 of us, and you, had to go, you just basically had to go to the car dealership and sign a paper and say, hey, I'd like to be in on this drawing. And so the day of the drawing came, and their whole, I mean, this was a big parking lot, big car dealership, packed shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder people all the way across. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people. And when they pulled the name, it was Kumaran Gopalan, which was a Malaysian buddy of mine that was going on our mission trip with us. And so, now, is that just a statistical oddity? Maybe. But I never in my life ever heard him say, God told me. Never. And on that occasion, he said, we're going to win this car. And we did, and we sold the car, and all of us went our happy little way on our mission trip. This is Paul Lyle. I might have told this story before. You know, speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues is something that's, that's part of the charismata. And I, I, I won't tell his whole story right now, but he was a hippie friend of mine, first friend I made in college, and he went to a Christian conference with me because he thought it would be cool because everybody seems to like to hug each other while they're there. And so he goes to this conference with me. I said, everybody will be hugging people. He's like, oh, hugging's cool. I'll go. And so, so he goes, and the second night of the conference... There's, a, there's more to the story than this, but the second night of the conference, there are similar set circumstances. There's music, and the music gets quiet, and everything gets still in the room. And somebody about two rows back and three seats over from Paul, my buddy that you see in that picture, he's, he's, he's the guy on the left, by the way. Um, somebody starts yelling out in this language that Paul doesn't speak. You know, so they're speaking in tongues. And Paul's completely unfamiliar with this. But the freaky thing that happens with Paul is Paul claims to this day, 20-something years later, that he understood it in English. So he says, now this is his story, he says when that person yelled out in tongues or whatever that was, he said, this is what I heard. He said, I love you, I'm standing right behind you with my arms wide open, all I'm doing is waiting for you to turn around and if you'll turn around, I'll show you what true love is. So this person's going off, and Paul hears that, those sentences. Turn around. I'm waiting for you with arms open. I'll show you what real love is. And the next thing that happened is even nuttier. About four rows in front of Paul and about six seats over, somebody yells out in English, I'm standing right behind you. I'm standing with arms open wide. I love you. If you'll just turn around... I want to show you what real love is. Now, what do you think happened in Paul Lyle's life that night? It's his story. I, you know, I wasn't there. I wasn't in his brain. I don't know how much of it is made up, but here's what I know. Every year, year after year after year after that, at our campus ministry, when people would graduate, every time, in fact, I think Termaine Shellman is, is one of the guys. Termaine stood up at his graduation and said, Paul Lyle greatly influenced my life. Didn't you? Yep. So, I mean, so many people that came through that campus ministry said, Paul Lyle, man, if it wasn't for Paul Lyle, I wouldn't be who I am today. Paul Lyle experienced a radical revolution that day in response to charismata. 
Believe it or not, it, it, it's cool. I get, I get it that some of it is crazy and nutty, but it sure appears to be real. If God was to seep through the cracks, to me, that's what it would end up looking like. I think it's the real deal. Years ago, when we, before I was even thinking about planning church, this guy, Jay Covert, came up to me at a conference, and he whispered in my ear, he said, HL, you're going to start a church in Louisville one day. Now, I did not think about that until about a year after we were into this process. But when I, when I, when I think about it now, to me, it, it feels like God showed up a little bit. It's like God confirming, hey, you're, you're going in the right direction. He's seeping through the cracks saying, good job, you're, you're, you're headed in the direction I want you to go. Paul says this about the charismata. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Prophecy is the ability to speak on God's behalf. And so, so he, sa- he says, you should want the gifts of the Spirit in your life. You should be craving Him to show up and seep through the cracks and, and speak through you and take the opportunities. Uh, we're running out of time, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip through some of this. I want to end with this quote. There's a, a Mormon philosopher and teacher named Shannon Alder. And, and she made this comment that I thought was really, really insightful. She says, one of the most important things you can do on this earth is to let people know they are not alone. So when I, when I, think of the, when I look at this picture and I say, where is God? And I think of the Holy Spirit seeping through the cracks in the pavement and moving around in the smoke from the cigarette and, 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 and in the voices of the ladies talking in the back, I feel like what the Holy Spirit would say to people everywhere is, I'm right here. I feel like in, in your life and in, in every single person's life, the, the charismata, the, the, the manifestation or the influence of the Holy Spirit is primarily one that wants to say, look, God, look, He's here. He's here right now with you. He, he's available to you. And I think that's what charismata, that's the goal of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we walk in the fruit of the Spirit. We have the character of Jesus, but the charismata, and, and when, you, when you look at charismata and, and the original language and what it means, again, it comes from charis, which is grace. And it's the same word that we get charisma from. And charisma is compelling attractiveness or charm that can inspire devotion in others. So there are a lot of churches that want people to shake and scream and yell and pray in tongues and, and line them up and pray and hope everybody falls over. And, and I believe God moves in, in a lot of that stuff. But I, I don't think that is the goal of the charismata. The goal of charismata is compulsion in people's lives to be turned towards grace, to, to receive the God that is right there in the smoke from their cigarette saying, I'm here, I've been here all along, come to me. And here's my point to you. You have a responsibility where God on street level is concerned. You pass people all day, every day look, that look just like this, that look just like the guy in Goodwill, that look just like, that look just like the guy in the sling who's, whose life has been temporarily messed up. And sometimes, not all the time, not every day, even uncommonly maybe, but sometimes God will fill you with something that says, right now, right here, I'm here, I'm moving, do something. And I believe that when those opportunities come, you ought to take them. And I think when you walk like that and when you are willing to let God do stuff, you're going to see story after story after story. It was hard for me to condense this down into a 30-minute sermon because I could tell you another 20 stories. When you, when you let God move, you're going to see some stuff that is going to surprise you. 
And I would just say be open to those surprises and be willing to take the risks. That's what we're going to talk about next week is taking risks and stepping out.